to 
with the God. <laughs> it's, to me, it seems like the stupidest, smallest things that happen, and then I just turn it into something that's God-honoring, I guess. <laughs> this morning, I came in and was turning on our mixer, and our mixer is its a digital mixer, and, and it's a computer, and it takes time to boot, and it has to connect to a whole bunch of stuff that's behind the platform. And on it, it said, connecting. And it was going and going and going, and then it said not connected. And I'm like, oh no, it's just all we need for today. <laughs> and uh, I realized what I did wrong, the 11 years I've been doing it, and uh, reset it, redid it, and it still said connecting. And then all of a sudden, it said connected. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> Especially as a worship pastor at a church, you're wanting to make sure that your mixer is connected to uh, to everything. Otherwise, we wouldn't have sound. And I was just thinking, I'm like, God, how awesome you are that I'm not wanting to be in a mode in my life where I'm connecting. But I want to be connected to God. Amen. I found that so awesome. Because when I'm connecting, there can be all of those roads that lead to somewhere negativity, depression, suicide, whatever, and you're trying to connect to God. But when you get into that line and you become connected to the Holy Spirit and you become connected to the Savior, that's when God starts doing something. He starts booting your system. He starts re-energizing your life. And I'm thankful for the connection that I have with God. And I want that to be our prayer this morning. That God, I wanna be connected to you. I don't wanna be continually connecting, but I wanna be connected. Amen. Are you thankful for the Lord this morning? Amen. with me this morning. You sing your hidden glory in 
about that name, King of kings, Lord of lords, I worship you. with you. Lord, I'm thankful that we are connected to you today. Lord, we magnify and we honor you. You deserve all of the praise, all of the glory. It's all about you, Jesus. And Lord, I'm thankful for the freedom that we have to come into this room and to yield ourselves to you, the name that is above all names. Amen. Amen. Come on, just give him praise this morning. Amen. I'm so glad I came to church this morning. And as you do that, enjoy this video. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not a test. This is the real deal. And I don't want to panic you, but I want to make sure that you understand that there is a major hurricane that is in the Gulf of Mexico. I can still feel it like it was yesterday, even though it happened so many years ago. My mom's is just like me. She's daring. She's not afraid of nothing. But I heard fear in her voice. That's what made me go. I've never heard my mom sound like this. Well, this may weaken below a category five before it hits land, but that's still extreme damage. Of course, we was being optimistic because we thought it was coming right back. Okay. Okay, it's time to go. What was wrong? Oh Lord, I've done the best I can. Please, Jesus, remember me. 
Y'all, I'm finna go now. Thank you very much. All right, all right. Feeling good. Feeling great. Watch the watch. Watch out for the little car. This one. See y'all later. Katrina is still alive. Because there's there's no Bourbon Street back here. There's no uh, French quarters back in the Lower Night Ward. It's just us. Before Katrina, I had 42 neighbors. Today, I have three. And I can understand why the big box stores are not coming back, because there's not enough people to sustain it. And I can understand why some of the people don't want to come back, because there's no businesses. Somebody has to do something. And it turned out that somebody was me. He's bold. He don't mind diving off into something that most people think it, is, it doesn't make sense. but. For some reason, he sees it different from other people. If you give someone your word, your word is your bond. That's something my mom used to tell me and my brothers. And I told everybody I was going to open up a grocery store. In this one building, we have a barber shop. I have a hair salon. I have a sweet shop a grocery store, and now we have a laundry room. I spent my entire life savings opening up this business. to laugh at me. I had people tell me that it was going to be a failure. I had people to tell me another Katrina is going to come to wipe it out. I tried, and they didn't try anything at all. And I'm still trying. And that's why I can't stop. It's, it's been too many years to have an empty lot like this, where this was somebody's house. Every day, someone's knocking at my door, asking me to build something. I say, just give me some time. I'm going to open up you know, more businesses. What's going on, sir? Man, I don't know. Bro. <laughs> Glad you are able to come to me. You know I never let you down. Thank you. <laughs> if your home is hurting, you're supposed to take care of your home. And I'm going to keep working until I can get the Lord Nightwood to catch up with the rest of the city.
day around here, you know. Good community, thanks to God. Mr. Bernal, you know, he bringing life back to the neighborhood. Sir, I've been trying to get a hold of you for the longest. <laughs> I feel what happened, ain't nothing like your own hometown, where you're born and raised at. It could happen again, I'm going and coming back. I'm coming right back to it. And my ambition is to live long enough to see not it come back as it was, but better than what it was. <laughs> you know how they say they don't think one person can make a difference. One person can make a difference. You have to really, really want it. And don't let nobody tell you it can't be done. Good morning. I am not Pastor Gary. He has been invited to speak this morning up in Waverly. So if you think about him, pray for them, pray for the church up there. And so you're uh, stuck with me this morning, if that's all right. All right. Well, so this morning, I want to take you on a journey, all right? So our students up in BSC, we've been on a journey since January through the book of Matthew. And so the theme that we've kind of framed it around is this idea that in each one of the chapters, you can see how God uniquely saves his people through different ways and different methods. And so today we're in continuing the story of Matthew chapter 22. God saves by knowing who you are. And I wonder, do you really know who you are, right? I mean, the heart's deceitfully wicked above all things, do you really know? And it's easy, even though we know, to forget who we are. And so this video that I showed you this morning is talking about a place in New Orleans, the Ninth Ward, one of the poorest economic places in the United States. And the video is titled, Unbeliever about a bunch of people who said there's just no point in going back and rebuilding because there's no hope. And what I love about this story that in the face of unbelief, there's one person who gives all to bring life back to where there's death. I know somebody like that. Come on now. Oh, is it too early to say that? We got to warm up a little bit. Are you here in the place this morning? I'm sorry. I'll get better later. So this, uh, this story that I just showed you, this video, it really captures these two ideas of unbelief and giving all. And there's this tension that I want you to think about as we move forward. That there's this standing invitation from heaven waiting for those who will choose to believe and take up the cause. But what will you do with this invitation? Like the guy said in the video, if it's your home, you're supposed to help your home. And so when we jump into this story of Matthew 22, right, the 21st chapter before is the triumphal entry where Jesus is coming in. It's his passion week. We know what happens. People are like, yeah, Hosanna. He's the Christ. He's going to save us all. All the people are shouting. The kids are shouting. And Jesus shares some stories to really confront the unbelief of the Jewish people. And they know he's talking about them, right? So then we move forward into chapter 22 where we get a little bit more 
of the unbelief, but we get a whole lot of this invitation. Let me show you what it's talking about. He opens up the chapter talking about this wedding invitation. Anybody got a wedding invite before? It's nice to be invited to things, right? Come on back to Berean. It's nice. Well, in this story, we see a royal invitation. We are royal guests. Did you know you're a royal guest? There's a royal invitation for you. And so here's what I want you to see in this story. What makes up a kingdom? There's property in the kingdom, right? We understand that. But even more important, what good is property without people? What good is a kingdom without the kingdom of people in that? And God understands that. And so he compares us in this story about the world and these royal guests. You're highly valued. You're royal. Turn to your neighbor and say, did you know you're royalty? Oh, you can do better. Say, I'm royal. Oh, good. We're there. So I want you to see in this morning before we move forward the players, all right? We have to know the players in order to really understand what's happening. Here's the story. You have the king in the story, the heavenly father. He's the inviter. Then you have the son whom the father is throwing a banquet for, right? That's Jesus. Then we have the servants. And these servants, while it doesn't name them, you can see there's a shifting in who they are in the story. The first servants he's really talking about is the ones who are going out. They're the Old Testament prophets who are saying to the Jewish people, hey, you need to repent, you need to uh, correct your lives, you need to move back toward God, right? And we know how they, they were treated. And then there's a shift in the story later on, and we'll see that those servants become the New Testament believers. That's you and me, right? Then there's the recipients, the Jewish people. And then we see a shift again that it's not just a few, but everybody. Again, that's us, right? So we understand all of the players in the story, so let's kind of jump in and see what happens. This king, the father in heaven, sends out this royal invitation that his wedding, the banquet table, is full. And he calls these people, these recipients, these are the Jewish people, these who are Jesus is talking about in Matthew 22, and he sends out this invitation saying, come, come to the table, and they refused. They returned to sender. I'll tell you what, there's nothing more frustrating when you send out a package to somebody and you get it back, right? Sometimes we send out multiple invites to students and then it's not uncommon for students to just be so transient and where they're living at with several of ours that we'll get lots of cards back that says return to sender. There's nothing more frustrating. We're like, man, what happened to these people? And we find these people just utterly refused and they sent the invitation back. Then again, the king decides to send another invitation a second time saying, dinner is ready, everything is completely set, the time is now come. He says the fatted calves are killed, it's all prepared, don't waste another moment. He says come, 
Scripture says, come to those who are thirsty. The table is ready to find something to drink. Come to the hungry and find something to eat. Come to the weary and the heavy burden that you can find rest for your soul. Take your heavy burden and your yoke and give it to him because you give him, he gives you back something easy and light. How many know what I'm talking about? That's what he's talking about here. Come and dine. There is a heavenly feast that is waiting, a costly feast. We understand the cost that he's talking about, right? That Jesus died on a cross for us so that we could come and dine with him. Now, we get excited when we talk about the return of Christ, right? We get excited when we think about the marriage supper of the Lamb and who's going to be there and we're sitting around and we're feasting and all of that. But if you just look at this story, he tells the people right now, he says, don't waste another moment. The table is ready. Do you understand what he's saying? He's saying, you don't have to wait till you make it to the marriage supper. You can get something to eat today. If you're thirsty, you can get well drank. Or drunk, in a good way, H2O, all right? You can get well watered. The time is now. You don't have to wait. Scripture says he prepares a table in the presence of our enemies. So no matter which condition, we can get something to eat. He says, if any man opens the door unto me, I will come in with him and I will feast with him. I will dine at his table. That's us. Are you getting this? I'm talking about being a royal guest, a royal invitation. So we divide the response this time into two categories. The first set of categories is they got the invitation, but the people that received it, these Jewish people, they didn't pay any attention. They turned and literally walked away. Think about that. You know people that are like that, that just seem to just walk away from kingdom things? It's hard to find something to eat when you're always looking for reasons to walk away. And that's what's happening. But they walked away and listened to what they walked away toward. Some gave their attention to their fields, other to their business. Things that would produce security, Things that would return uh, or give a return on investment. Things where you would find your earthly identity in. Your stuff. Things that might even be an inheritance or a legacy for future generations. That's what they refuse the invitation for. Stuff. Then we have another group of people that they gave full attention. Negative attention, in fact, in retaliation. They seized these people, the messengers, they mistreated them, and they killed others for one specific purpose, to silence the voice from heaven. That's why they did that. They were killing the voice of God. That's a terrible place to be. Think about what he's saying in this story. What would drive someone to kill 
over an invitation, right? I mean, I went to a wedding just yesterday. Now, can you imagine me getting my invitation in the mail and just feel like, no, you can take this back. I ain't going to that. I mean, one of us, right? Of course, they're not giving up easy. They're like, no, he meant to receive that. So he sends out another one. And of course, I could either ignore and walk away and not even pay any attention. But who in their right mind, when they get an invite to a wedding, says, come over here. I'm going to kill you. That just don't make no sense. They killed the messenger. So I thought of some reasons of why you might kill the messenger. Now remember, this is a king in his kingdom. Maybe they were angry at the king. Maybe they were angry with the son. You ever been mad at God? You ever been mad at Jesus? Not understanding what's going on in your life? Maybe they were upset. What they were doing was more important. You ever been there? Feeling like you had to do something in this moment? Things in your life take more priority? Maybe they had willful, royal amnesia. They just plain forgot who they were. You know, you can just choose to forget and walk away and try hard to not own who you are. The world does that all the time. I mean, right? I mean, we're created in God's image. It's written on our hearts. And you have to work hard to walk away and see all the majesty and all the harmony and all of the, the royalty. I'm talking about willfully walking away. Maybe it was one of these three, three, these three things. So here was the king's response. He was enraged. That makes sense. So he sends his troops to destroy and burn down the city, right? We understand what he's talking about. He's talking about that he brought his people into captivity. He put them into captivity. They came back in the restoration. It can also be talking about future tense in 70 AD when their whole town was overthrown. Destroyed it all. Not going to listen to me. I'm going to burn your city down. And here's what he says. The first royal guests, these are the Jewish people, are no longer worthy. No longer worthy to sit at the table. No longer worthy of the royal invitation. That is a scary place to be. That idea, worthy, is talking about a balancing of scales. Now, I don't know about you, but... I go to the gym a couple times a week, and if you've ever been to the gym in the Altoona campus, there's different sets of scales there, and there's these two scales. Like one scale I really hate, and one scale is pretty awesome, right? So like there is this scale that's there that you stand on, and you know you put the bars, and you run the bars down, and then you get to see how much you weigh. And we always weigh in, Pastor Kevin and I, we go together. We always weigh in at the same time, like afterwards, and sometimes before and after. And I'm, I'm, I am not joking. I am telling you the truth. We stepped on the scale afterwards and weighed more. <laughs> I was sweating. How does that work? You can't trust a scale. But there's this other scale 
that I know you can trust, right? You get on this scale, and if you lean a little bit back, <laughs> you get a little bit lighter. It doesn't matter the workout, right? You just lean a little back. I'm doing so good. But that's not how it works in the kingdom. There's a balancing. Are you worth the invitation? And Jesus was looking at their lives as we see in the first chapter. He says, is your life producing fruit? Positive kingdom fruit. And the evidence was, they're not. So the king pulled the invitation and he expanded the kingdom. He made a new decree. This was an invitation to everybody. Everyone. He says to the messengers, go into the crossroads. Go everywhere that you can. Places of decisions, places of interaction, as many as you can find. And a key thing to see in the story is simply this. The ones who are the servants who are going into those crossroads, that's us, right? So the ones who are receiving the invitation can also give that invitation to as many out. Like, hey, you didn't get one? Here you go. Come on. Let's go. Let's go together. He says, go and find out as many as you can find, go and find them. And so, over the last six months, I've seen in Facebook, it's a great place, right? Find all kinds of stuff. But two specific things that have really just kind of grabbed my heart, really hurt my heart. You probably wouldn't know either one of these two people, most of the people in this room. But there were two former BSC students. They were apartment kids. Graduated out. They're, they're on their own. And in about two months difference, both of them were arrested, sent to jail, probably to be sentenced. One for drug charges, and the other one just recently for assault with a weapon. And you know, I read that going into the crossroads and I felt like that's what BSC was for that moment. For these students to have a positive voice into their life, a crossroads moment. And you might think, what did we gain out of that? The one girl who got charged with um, assault with a weapon Crystal and I sat with her across from an Applebee's table because we knew that these two were, two of them were key people of trying to create peace in what was happening in BSC and listened to a story of a girl who lost her father who jumped off the Des Moines uh, bridge into the river in the middle of the winter. Who went from sad to worse to even more worse. Now, we're all responsible for our choices right? But sometimes the voice of the stuff in this world can be so loud that people have a hard time hearing. And listen, the reason why it's important for us to take the invitation, even though it may not be received in the way that you want it, is because I know where the de destination of those things go. And I know in eternity where that goes, unless somebody gets in the way of that. And that's us. What's the point? 
The point is to keep handing the invitation out, to keep getting in the way, to make it hard for people to go down the wrong path. And that's what he says. He says, go into the crossroads. And once you find them, it's up to you. Go into the streets and gather both good and evil. Now, evil people don't make it into the kingdom, right? There's no evil person in the kingdom, but he's talking about through the eyes of how we see, right? Both good and evil. He's talking about any person who is willing to respond to this invitation, the son's invitation, are going to be worthy. The people that you think are outsiders who are pushed out away, those are people that he's calling us to invite. No longer can we have an excuse on our side to say, not worthy, when you read this story and he says, Everyone is worthy of an invitation. And so I, a couple of weeks ago, I got an invitation from a good friend of mine that I've developed over the last couple of years. And um, he's a really good friend. He's a devout Muslim. And we've, we met together, and um, he used to be our, our copier guy. Just started talking to him and saying, hey, do you like coffee? Yeah, I love coffee. Let's meet. And we just have coffee and we share coffee together for just the simple purpose of being a friend. Now, he is a devout Muslim, right? He is devout as much as I'm devout in my faith. We both want each other to convert, right? (laughs) We both understand that. But a couple of weeks ago, he sends me a text message and he says, hey, our, our mosque is having a celebration. Their, their prayer tower is finally finished after a year. He said, I would love for you to come out and just stand with me as a part of the celebration. I said, sure. So Crystal and I and our kids went out there and my kids asked, why are we going to do this? We got stuff to do. It's a Saturday, <laughs> right? I don't want to go to a mosque and stand and look at a tall tower on a hot day. And I said, you do that for people because the kingdom is about people. And we take time for people, don't we? So we went out there and we saw lots of people there, lots of devout people. We saw devotion. We saw different generations that were there, some that were devoted. And then it's funny how we have this in our, in, in our circles too, where you can see the devout and then generations down, right? Kids and grandkids, how they're not as sharp as the others, right? They're still trying to figure out what does this even mean? Because sometimes we think by just showing up by default, they get it, right? So we stood there and over and over he said, thank you for coming. And I said, it was an honor to come to your invitation. You honor by accepting the invitation. Now, I know he's devout, but I know God's spirit is working in his life. And I know that by showing up and walking and building friendship with him, that there might be a moment that he will look again at Jesus and say, maybe there's something more that I've missed. That's why we do what we do, right? 
to not just hand out an invitation, but to get down in the dirt with people where they live and actually become friends with people? And the goal is this, that his table would be full. God wants his house to be a full house. And it's up to us to make that happen. So the house is full. The king goes out to examine the table. And upon examination, he spots a man that wasn't wearing the proper clothes. This was a person who understood it was the son's invitation. He understood what he was showing up to, but he willingly chose not to put on the garments. He thought he could find another way in, right? He has no right to be there. This isn't about access into the kingdom. This is a definition of the king saying, what right do you have to be here? So the king goes over to him. And he says, friend, what are you doing here? And the man's speechless. So he tells the servants to bind the man up and to throw him into outer darkness. Now think about that. He just called him friend and then like throw him into eternal punishment. Those things don't seem like they go quite well. I mean, I don't have any friends that treat me like that. So there must be something more to this word. In fact, this word is only used three times in the New Testament. It's only used three times, and all of them are in the book of Matthew in these few chapters. And this idea of friendship is about a kind, warm welcome to a stranger, right? This isn't like, Phileo, like a true friend, we see when Jesus tells his disciples, you are my friends. That's phileo, right? You're a true friend. This is like a friend that you would do to welcome a stranger. But every time he uses it in all three of these, it's a person who says that like they're friends or that they should be there, but they have other motives in mind. They're like an imposter, so when he's calling them friends, it's not too far to, to assume that what he's saying here is, I thought we were friends. And if we were friends, why aren't you wearing the garments that I have given you? And the man was speechless. And do you know why he was speechless? because he already knew the answer. It's not hard to look around and realizing why you're sticking out. And that's what was happening in that moment. But that's why it says in Revelation that those who are overcomers, they overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of the testimony, right? So that when we stand before God at the end, at that marriage feast, right? That when he comes up to you and says, what right do you have to be here? He says, I have rights because I'm washed in the blood. I put on the blood-washed garments, washed in the blood. I was, I was a wretch. I was an outcast. I was sent away. But I have been forgiven and 
testimony. You got one of those? You need one. Don't show up to the marriage supper being speechless when he's given you every reason to show up to celebrate. Come on, somebody. He says, many are called, but few are chosen. What does that mean? It means the invitation's being handed out. But the ones that are chosen are the ones that willfully say, that's going to be me. I'm going to make it. With God's help, I'm pressing forward. That's the ones who are chosen. It's not like a selection process. It's an exception process. You accept it and you walk in it. That's what it is. That's only point one, people. Yeah, buckle up. We're going forward fast. Okay, so point number two is you are a dual citizen. What happens in the story next is they try to... um, test Jesus they ask him and they say these Jewish people they say Jesus who do you pay taxes to do you pay them to Caesar or you pay them to God isn't that the way that kind of the world divides it up and people divide it up is giving your priorities and your attention to one or the other, right? Because the taxes of Caesar were a heavy tax and nobody liked the tax. And so they're tricking him to saying, if he says pay him to Caesar, that he's endorsing this tax, this heinous tax. And then he says, if he endorses God, then he is basically um, pulling his loyalty from the government. So what does he say? Give to Caesar what is Caesar. And give to God what is God. That's a masterful response. But it's a true response. Because we think sometimes, well, I don't have to submit to that. Because by faith, I am pressing forward. And I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And I don't have to submit to every rule and authority. But that's not what this says. In fact, it says here very clearly in Scripture. Have confidence in your leaders. And submit to their authority. Because they keep watch over you as to give you an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy and not a burden. For that would be of no benefit to you. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The the authorities that exist have been established by God. That sounds good on paper. But then you got to do it. Right? Now listen. Listen. Can I just be honest? You just can't fix stupid. And there are things that are people that are over you or have been over you that you might think is pretty dumb. And while you can't fix it, you do have to submit to stupid. And you can so that it can be a joy and not a burden. So there's this tension we wrestle with. You have to live the change. If we want to see the change, you got to live it. Both here, submitting to governments, but also submitting to God. Because people are watching. People are watching around you. 
of how you're submitting. And I promise you, if you have kids, they're watching too. My kids ask me, especially my oldest son, ask me all the time, Dad, why do we have to do that? Why can't I just go out and ride my dirt bike in the street and just floor it up and down? Because you can't, it's illegal. Why can't I shoot fireworks off in my backyard, Dad? They're so much fun. Because it's not the right thing to do. And it's always right to do right. So what it is, we have this dual citizenship. Now think about this. If you engage in the process of becoming the difference, right? One of my biggest frustrations is is people complain about those in authority and those in government, but they don't do anything about it. And if that's you and you decide to step up into those roles of leadership and in governments and become the difference, right? Just understand it's not always going to be what you expect it to be. Think about this. In the book of Daniel, right, when Daniel interprets Nebuchadnezzar's dream and all of that, he gets praised, he gets promoted and all this and it's hooray and yippee and all that. And then there's three other people, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? We know these people, very well-known people. They get promoted into the provinces, right? They're in charge. And not too far later, those three people that were promoted were thrown into the fiery furnace. I bet you they didn't see that coming. (laughs) And I promise you, when you step up into leadership roles, there's a lot you won't see coming. But do it anyway. Number three. You're dead, but alive. This is like one of my favorite parts in the story, all right? The Sadducees, that's now their turn to like trick Jesus. And like these people, they don't believe in the resurrection. They're politically religious, right? And I don't even understand that, that tension. Like how do you believe in God, but don't believe in an afterlife? That doesn't make any sense. And so they try to trap Jesus with scripture and Jesus is very quick to tell them, it's like, you're mistaken. He's talking about the resurrection. You don't understand the scripture and you don't understand the power of God. And I would tell you the truth, in our lives, when we get into places where we just don't understand, we're mistaken. Look at scripture. Believe in his power. I'll tell you why this is my favorite spot. When I was preparing for this message and I was really looking at this, I just really saw somebody here. I don't know who that is. Maybe it's more than one. And I was thinking about a person. This person is living in such a way like the Pharisees. You're living a dead life when God has given you something so much more. You're trapped in your past when God has given you a present in a future. We get trapped, right, by things that happen in our past. We get trapped by unmet expectations. For whatever reason, we're trapped with dead things. If it's in the past, it's dead, right? And Scripture's saying, he's saying right here, you don't even understand what you're talking about. I'm not the God of the dead. I'm the God of the living, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, 
You don't know what you're talking about and don't understand the power of God. Stop living in dead places when I'm calling you forth to places where you can most certainly thrive and live. Are you hearing me? Now see, Larry, come here real quick. I want to just use you as an example. I'll be very careful with you. Thank you. Fragile, don't break. So, you just stand right here. And this is how I have this picture in my mind. You've been going through these motions for so long that it's almost like you're in this stupor of just existing, so trapped in something that's dead, it's like an intoxicating effect. And I feel like this morning that that's you, and God is speaking to you like this. Wake up. Yes. Amen. Wake up. It's time to get up. And there's people that are here that say, if God would just move me, I would move. Do you read scripture? If any man will follow me, you can follow. He's asking you to follow while we're saying he wants like oh, this willful push, right? Thanks, Larry. Give it up for Larry. It's up to you to decide this morning what's your present and what your future will be. God has already given you the invitation. He supplies all of our need according to his riches and glory. He will give you everything that you need. He is your provision. He is your resource. He is your everything. He will give you energy as you need it. But you have to make the decision to walk forward, to step onto the boat. The disciples did that. Right after they accepted the task, if you read in the book of Matthew, right away they went right into a storm. And so I'm not promising you today, if you take the hands, both hands and grab it and say, I am going to follow no matter what, that there's not a storm waiting on the horizon. Because there probably is somewhere. But on the other side of the storm, there's a demon-possessed person that's going to be set free by Jesus' hands, and that might come through you. Talking about dead things living. And listen, if he calls forth life out of nothing, he doesn't need anything, and neither do you. So stop thinking about what you're lacking and start receiving what he has for you. He has all that I need. He is all that I need. And own it and walk in it. Number four, he calls us to live simple. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm so simple. Now, how many of you refuse to do that? I ain't simple. I'm a whole lot of something, but I don't know. It's not simple. <laughs> but read what happens next. 
went through the Pharisees, went through the Sadducees, and now they find an expert. And I know if you can get an expert, that will just prove who Jesus is. And so they had this debate on what was the greatest commandments. We know this. It's very common. It gets quoted all the time. It's in the story, though. They have this debate believing that if there's these two commandments that you can keep, or commandments, that it would help you to keep all of the others. And so they, they test Jesus saying, what's the greatest commandments? Right? You know what they are? Come on, somebody. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. What? Love your neighbor as yourself. Two of the greatest commandments, and he says, and all of the law and the prophets hinge on these, that if you just love God and love people, everything else works itself out. It's simple. So don't overcomplicate it. It's meant to be simple. So simple. Now think about this. You've probably heard this. Loving people would be easy, except for all the people, right? But none of us are easy to love by someone. I know people who know other people, like, I can't like them, they're too nice. Nobody likes everybody, but we still need to love them, right? And I, do you think Jesus knew that? I think he did. Listen, that's why he told the disciples when he was sending them out. He said, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves so that you would have this incredible opportunity to share faith and love with them. It's just simple. Simple. Listen to what he says. 1 Corinthians 1. God chose the things of this world, considers foolish, in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those that are powerful. God chose the things despised by this world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing that which the world calls important. He's talking about the simple. So if you take those things together, think about this. With God's love, it puts men's wisdom to shame. It puts the powerful in its place, right? And he takes things that are nothing, despised by the world, he's talking about us, to bring down those things which everyone else seems important. And it's all done through this one simple word, love. Love. So here's my last point. I have Pastor Nathan come. God knows who you are. But do you know whose you are? Do you? So Jesus, it's his turn to ask one question. He said, Who's the Christ? Which son is he? And the religious people, they already know the answer out of Psalms, right? Well, he's David's son. And so Jesus says, if the Christ is David's son, then how could David call him my Lord? And immediately, all of the Jewish people were silenced. 
they wouldn't ask him any more questions from that point on. Now think about what he's saying. The day before, triumphal entry, everyone shouting, Messiah, son of David. They believed he was that son. And he's saying, how can he be David's son? David called him Lord. don't think they wanted to know the answer. Do you know why? Because they didn't ask him anything else. They probably already knew. David called him Lord because he is greater. He is the son of God. And if that kind of invitation is going out, it's definitely one you want to receive, right? So this morning, with every head bowed and eyes closed in this place, if you're here this morning, maybe you haven't accepted that grand invitation. You've been showing up, you've been doing all the right things, but really you would say, I don't really have a relationship. I don't really understand salvation. It's simply accepting his invitation that the son died for you. And if that's you by an uplifted hand, I think it's appropriate this morning. If that's you, could you just acknowledge that this morning? I need Jesus in my life. Come on. Real quick. Come on. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. It's really just this simple. It's not a magic formula. It's just saying, Jesus, I need you in my life. Forgive me and make me new. That's it. And then, if everyone looking up at right now at me, and then you make it your decision by laying hold of that and saying, no matter what, I'm not rejecting the invitation. And no matter what, I'm going to give it to anybody who will listen to me. Real quick, though, one more question. Every head bowed and eyes closed. If you're here this morning and you know who I'm talking about, you're living in a dead place. You've been there far too long and you want out. Listen, I believe this is your morning. The dead things come alive. Come on, if that's you by an uplifted hand, say, that's me. Come on, I'm living in a dead spot. Listen, that's for you today. What do you do with that? You stop letting the past define you. Stop going back to dead places. Don't go back to the tomb when the voice of the angel is saying, he isn't here, he is risen. And then you walk in the power of God and he will give you energy and he will give you resources he will give you power if you will choose from this day forward no longer I'm going to stay in this dead place but I'm going to live in the land of the living where God is calling me forth come on somebody is anybody in the place right now 
Let's stand to our feet right now. Come on. Lord, I pray right now as we get ready to worship. Lord, you make dead things live. You call forth nothing or something out of nothing. Lord, I pray right now in this moment that you would work in every way in your spirit. Lord, that we would receive all that you have for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, let's worship. Your presence is here. Jesus' name, and everyone shout it! Turn to your neighbor and look 
Sunday. 